to the next episode of Duets from the Trenches, Musicians You Should Know. This is your friendly neighborhood studio, and Nick draws off hosting as always. Today, my guest is trumpeter, band leader, teacher, and composer, Chris Davis. Our conversation was both fascinating and I found it very uplifting, so I really hope you'll enjoy this show. Okay, before we get to the show, I'll cover my usual TPSA, Trumpeter's Public Service Announcements. First, I'm an endorsing artist for Wedge Mouthpieces, designed and manufactured by Dave Harrison of British Columbia in his wonderful shop in Gabriola Island. His unique rim design offers superior flexibility and endurance without fostering a dependency on the mouthpieces, so you can switch around without any problems if you're using a wedge. To find out more, go to www.wedgemouthpiece.com or just call Dr. Dave at 877-679-3343. Next, I am a Getson Trumpet endorsing artist. I have four Getson B-flat trumpets, a Getson C trumpet, a Getson piccolo, a Getson four-valve flugelhorn, and a Getson bass trumpet. These are excellent horns built in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. However, as American-made instruments, these are also fine horns that are built at reasonable prices for top-flight pro horns. So you should really consider Getson. Finally, I want to make a personal plug for my website. I have many educational videos, videos of my playing in general. I have a blog uh, and all kinds of other things on there that I'm putting out there for trumpet players to peruse for free. So just go to www.nickdrawsdoff.com. Now on to today's show. Chris Davis is the leader of the Chris Davis Jazz Tet. He also works with Orbert Davis, Chicago Jazz Philharmonic, as a trumpeter in the orchestra and as a clinician and jazz band director during uh, band camps. After earning a jazz studies degree from Northern Illinois University, in 2005, Mr. Davis officially began his teaching career as a band director in 2006 at Stetton Academy High School in South Holland, Illinois. Since then, he has served as an adjudicator for the Illinois Music Educators Association, as well as the Illinois High School Association and many other competitions and festivals. In recent years, Mr. Davis has worked with the following artists in some capacity. The Isley Brothers, Dennis Edwards and the Temptations Review, Orbert Davis, the Clark Sisters, Steve Harvey, Mary Wilson, the Four Tops, the Chicago Jazz Orchestra, Jennifer Hudson, Ron Cannoli, Barry Manilow, and many others. Chris also has his own podcast. He's the host of the Behind the Note podcast, advice for a successful music career, where he interviews musicians about what has worked for them in their career and their way to success. Past guests include Rufus Reed, Chris Body, John Clayton, Terrell Stafford, Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister, and Celebrity Apprentice, Wenton Marcellus, and many others. Behind the Note Podcast is a weekly show that has listeners in over 50 countries. Before we get to the interview, let's listen to Chris's work. Here is a track from his CD titled Actuation. We'll listen to the whole track in its entirety. Sit back and enjoy the music. Thank you. 
out of respect to the musicians, here are the sidemen on that recording. Marcus Evans is playing drums. Worlarm Dallas Ford is on piano. Alex Austin on bass. Luke Malowitz on trombone. Rajiv Halim is on alto sax. Casey Fitzpatrick is on tenor sax. And, of course, Chris Davis is on trumpet. Now on to the interview. Okay, this morning we're sitting here with Mr. Christopher Davis, Chris Davis, and um, trumpet player extraordinaire and musical entrepreneur, dare I say, and the host of the podcast Behind the Note um, and other things. Chris, we're going to have you kind of just tell us about um, everything you're doing. Uh, but, Chris, I want to thank you for doing this. I'm really thrilled to have, uh, have you here electronically, as it were, today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. And, um, uh, you know, been bumping into you uh, one time or another in bands or, you know, <laughs> gigs and things. And um, uh, you were kind enough to play an exploratory rehearsal I did back uh, several months ago. And really uh, thrilled to have that, that thing happening. And been looking forward to chatting with you about a whole bunch of different ideas. Um, uh, my little podcast is all about what can we do to encourage uh, musicians who might be, you know, student musicians and younger musicians or anybody who perhaps is a little bit on the fence about whether or not they want to do music professionally or something as a, uh, as a serious effort in their lives. So what I'd like to start off with, Chris, is when did you decide to make music your life's work? How did you know this is something you wanted to do? I was about 15 years old and I was going through a period of questioning if that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I wasn't being challenged in my environment. And I walked into a, a sound check with the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra. And when, when, when I heard those sounds and felt those vibrations in my body, the decision was made right then and there that this is what I'm going to do with my life. I didn't fully understand what that meant, but I was willing to go ahead and discover that. Pretty cool. Um, where did you study? Where'd you go to school? Northern Illinois University. Ron Carter was my teacher. So oh, yeah. was Mark, Mark Ponzo and uh, Art Davis. Oh, Art Davis. Among oh. others. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Art's one of my favorite guys around. He's a super nice guy, a brilliant jazz player. Um, Chris, how did you start working? How did your career actually begin? How'd, how'd you start getting gigs? Um, when I was a teenager i don't know if this really counts but i was still in high school my band director had me come play at his church and then at the end of it all i got a check i was like what <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of fun you know um but after after college uh, the first thing i did was work uh, carnival cruise lines that's okay. something something i always wanted to do at that point i hadn't done it and uh, I realized, hey, this is like a really good time. I don't have any commitments. And uh, I should just do this now. So that's what I did. I auditioned over the phone. Um, really? Over the phone, yeah. And I mean, this is a little different, a different time. Uh-huh. Uh, they had, we had internet, of course. But uh, yeah. they, <laughs> they, they emailed me charts. <laughs> this was real bizarre. They emailed me charts. Uh-huh. And they were gonna give me like a half hour to look over them. I mean, the 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 music they sent was a very thick pack. It was easily 150 pages about. Wow. And uh, they gave me a half hour to look at it, and then they would pick, you know, randomly for, for me to read from. But my printer wasn't working, so I had to spend 
25 of those minutes going to Kinko's. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so I oh, truly no. I truly was sight reading. And, oh, uh, wow. and, and then they, hear, they heard me improvise. And right then, the guy said, well, I think I have a spot for you. My mouth dropped. I thought I had to wait a couple of weeks at least to hit, you know, wow. find out if I was going out. I think I have a spot for you. Uh, and then we negotiated that. He wanted to put me out for like a year. I said, hey, hold on. I don't know if I like this. I've never done it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I did I, my my first and only contract was uh, six months. Uh, okay. I thought I was going to return. Uh, but while I was home, I got a job offer. And that was oh, wow. bizarre. Yeah, I didn't I didn't apply for it. But really? somebody recommended me and I figured, hey, I should take this interview because I need practice interviewing. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's all I cared about actually. I didn't think uh-huh. I would get the job. I would, really wasn't interested. Yeah. Um but I I interviewed for a high school teaching position and then I got it. Wow. And, and I started teaching then. So did cruise lines for 6 months, then I started teaching. Now, um are you certified? Is that what did I'm you I'm not certified. Okay. No, that was that was another bizarre thing. So uh-huh. I wasn't I wasn't certified, um but it was a private school. Okay. Yeah. It's a and uh, yeah, it's a little different, uh, especially back then. And they didn't. I mean, they kind of were desperate, <laughs> unfortunately. But wow. they, you know, here's the thing. And this is uh, true in life. You know, if if you have a good reputation, yeah. And if you know people and you do good work, uh, that works in your favor. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in th- throughout the interview, they discovered who I worked with, who I studied with. And I had studied under a, a, a local legend. And when they discovered that, it was over. So they, they wanted me right then. Very cool. Who was that yeah. local legend? I got to ask. David Ings is his name. Okay. Yeah. Taught at Thornridge High School. Oh, yeah. For many years. I don't know how many. At least uh-huh. 30 years. Um, you know, Golden Apple winner and all that other stuff. Oh, that's, that's, that's really uh, impressive. Now, are you still teaching at that school? No, uh, the school is closed today. Oh, okay. So uh, you're asking some great questions because these experiences kind of form my beliefs. So I, yeah, you know, I, I was there. I had no intention of teaching, uh, and they wanted. They were very clear. Hey, we've had a lot of teachers come and go. We want somebody who's going to be here. Yeah. And can you commit? I had no problem committing. I'm not afraid of of commitment. Sure. Know? So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do this for at least four years, at least. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But after the third year, story changed. We had we had multiple uh, principals and, and presidents. And when your leadership rotates that often, you know that's not a good situation. Yeah, it's a tough and, thing. Yeah. 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 So they they cut the program, uh, not completely, but almost to nothing. And uh, they wanted me to... Uh, work for uh, almost nothing and yeah. teach other classes that I was not really uh, good to teach. You know, mm-hmm. I said, yeah. no, I'm not doing that. That's not yeah. good for the students. It's, so, uh, yeah, that's interesting because people think, you know, if you work a, a nine to five, that that's a secure thing, but you really don't ever really know. Yeah. Uh, especially these days when you're teaching music, because like you said, they were trimming the program. I've uh, bumped into a lot of musicians who were working in uh, high schools or 
uh, secondary schools of some sort and only to find their job on the block because the schools didn't uh, understand how important music actually is to child development. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a sad thing, but hopefully uh, people are starting to get a little better understanding of that. Um, are you teaching now? Do you teach in a, in a secondary school now? Teaching for me looks different today. Okay. So I have a lot more of my time back. Yeah, which is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, um, I hear you. Yeah, so uh, I primarily function as brass instructor. Okay. And okay. even within that, uh, I I deal with trombone and and tuba, the lower brass, on occasion because wow. I'm like on only on occasion because I'm fortunate enough that there's a team of people, you know, that I really only get to deal with the trumpet players. Yeah. So that's yeah. really specialized. You know, that's cool. So I, yeah. I like that a lot. So, yeah, teaching is a lot different for me now. But uh, this year I am returning to like a, a band teacher role. But okay. even that is like it's not all day long. It's just a, a few hours at a time. So so you've got control. Really cool. of, you got control, control of your own time then. That's Yes. That's yeah. how I prefer to live my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do get that. I, uh, since I've retired from my day job as a um, high school physics teacher, I'm back to playing full time. Got to tell you, that feels great. Although I I love that day job, that you know, playing full time again is really a thrill. Really a thrill for me. Um, so uh, when it comes to playing and gigging, uh, where are you working most of the time as a as a professional musician? Uh, what sort of, are, are you working steadies or are you just working freelance? Are you, are you jobbing weddings and that sort of thing? Uh, uh, what's your profession up to right now? I have very few steady gigs. Uh, steady for me is like an annual thing. So <laughs> yeah, I get you. Um, in, in most cases, but I do, I do what, uh, the Chicago area Midwest people call jobbing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's really fun. I love it. I know a lot of people don't. I I love it. It's uh, I'm a part of a very good, very good group of people. Uh, uh -huh. Good people. Music is really top notch. People take it seriously. Um, and then the business is really uh, organized. I I really appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, I kind right. of uh, was really blessed to have this be my experience. I didn't know. For many times, I would invite people to work with me. And I would hear the same phrase as if people planned it out. Hey, tell Chris this. This is this is going to be your answer. <laughs> they uh -huh. would say, oh, I would love to, but I have this jobbing thing. And for the longest time, I didn't know what they were talking about. What is this jobbing thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I asked around and I discovered what people meant. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I, you know, I prayed about it. I'm like, I want to experience this. What is this jobbing thing? You uh -huh. know? And then yeah. uh, I got my first offer about a year after that and uh it was the guy told me hey this is the best band in town i'm thinking yeah everybody says that about their band <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know but then i started playing around town in other bands yeah. and it really was the best band in town I'm like whoa yeah you know on paper sometimes uh people the the band looks great but when you play with them it's not really all that great yeah and uh that's because of the, the perspective you know people it was it was kind of bizarre. Uh, I was I, I was in a band once subbing, 
Yeah. And I'm looking around like, oh man, this person's here, that person's here. Oh, this is gonna be a great night. Yeah. And we yeah. play and it really wasn't anything cool. And uh and then we had, you know how you take a break and you get your band, which which is, you know, a box of a cold cut sandwich or something. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And 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 then people started talking about how much of a drag it was to uh-huh. uh, to be doing this job at this time of, of night and this and that. And I said, hey, guys, if you feel like that, why don't you just quit? And everybody looked at me and it got silent. And I said, no, seriously, like, if you don't like it, why why are you doing it? And then everybody was like, well, we need the money, this and that. So um, for me personally, that's not my philosophy. Yeah. Um, And I I wish other people wouldn't think that way. I understand. I understand why people do that. But, um, you know, I think you would have a, a better enjoy your life better if you um you know did things that you enjoy i know people feel like they don't have that choice sometimes yeah but when you when you let things go that you you know that you don't like maybe your time is run up i know in 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 the beginning you liked it and now it's 12 years later well it's time for a change you know change yeah Yeah. you know so anyway i'm sorry i went down that hole no that's uh, cool yeah I'm I'm fascinated by the whole jobbing thing. I've I've done it for years. I'm not really jobbing much anymore, but that's not by choice. It's um, probably more to do with the fact that I've got gray hair now, and people don't kind of want to see that so much on a wedding day as much as they used to. I'm not sure they I'm not sure they ever did. <laughs> but I love the challenge of jobbing. I've always thought it was a thrill, you know, to to walk into a gig. You don't know what you're gonna play until you get there. Uh, the band leader might turn around and start calling tunes that there's no music, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just did a gig like that a week or a couple of weeks ago, actually, up, up way up north, and uh, it was three hours, not a note of music. He just kept calling tunes and throwing keys. I love that challenge, and I, I, I sense that same vibe from you that the uh, I, the the challenge and the beauty of jobbing is uh, that there's a lot of music out there, a lot of music in us, and there's any number of ways you can share it. And jobbing, you get paid a little bit uh, on top of it to boot, which is pretty cool. Also, all of my favorite jazz players just know a million tunes. You know, I'm, I'm sure you do. I know Art Davis does. So, uh, yeah, so that's where that's at. But um, so now, um, so uh, you're, you are jobbing still. Are you playing, are you playing a, a fair share of jazz gigs? You are a really wonderful, uh, unique voice as a jazz soloist. And... Um, uh, you feel like you get? Do you feel like you have ample opportunity in Chicago to put that part of your musical experience out there? No, I'm not doing that so often, and that's totally my fault. Um, what the reason why I started my band in the beginning was because I was not getting those calls. Yeah, and uh-huh. so I said, "Hey, man, let me just start a jazz group. I love playing yeah. jazz. Let me start a jazz group, and then, you know, I'll, I'll figure out how to get this work." But um, no, I'm I'm not doing that as much, but that's all on me. I have no excuses. Um, I just don't go out as often as I should to make that happen. Um, but what I do more of these days is uh, horn section work, playing uh-huh. various, you know, mainly R&B, soul, pop kind of yeah. horn section work. And somebody called me and uh, invited me to play and from there, it just kept increasing. So yeah. that's part of the reason why also that I'm not doing 
so much jazz playing because uh-huh. I've kind of been scooped up in this in this other scene, which is fine. But uh, you know, ironically, that it's ironic that you ask because I've decided yeah. that I am going to devote more time to playing jazz. And Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I want to. Can I talk about something real quick? Sure. Uh, along those lines. Heck yeah. Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine opened a school. Uh-huh. His name is Roosevelt Griffin. It's called the Griffin Institute of Performing Arts. And it's in the south suburbs. Okay. And and the kids all over the area can come and and get additional music education after school. Oh, that's and, wonderful. And uh, it is wonderful. I love it. So we grew up there and we didn't have that. So it's it's special. And a lot of people from around have come and helped literally build the walls and, and volunteered um, time and to get it started. And, and it's been two and a half years or maybe three years, and it's really starting to, uh, to do well. Uh, once, a, once a week, though, every Thursday from yeah. 6 to 8 p.m. is a jam session. And uh, I played, I don't know, I played a few of them. But w- one time recently I said, man, I want to do this more often for you. And so to make it interesting for uh, the people involved, because we're all volunteering, I said, hey, I'm going to write a song, a new song, every time we play. I have a residency. I I failed to say that. So uh, for a year, we're going to do once a month. And every time I'm going to at least bring one new song, and we're going to record an album in 2020. Oh, that's that's, great. So that's what's going to happen with that. I'm excited because, you know, it's always nice to have something to work toward. Yeah, yeah. and, but the kids play with us. They work closely with us, you know. So there's a lot of teaching happening. And I thought about that because you asked if I'm playing jazz. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to at at minimum once a month. I'm doing that. So that's that's cool. And uh, we'll see what happens in 2021 because we're recording at the end of 2020. And what's the name of that institution once again that was just founded? Griffin Institute of Performing Arts. Yeah, okay, excellent. Well, I want to make sure our listeners know about that. Very neat. Now, um, Chris, you do you play in many big bands? No, I don't. Okay. I have uh, in the past, but yeah. uh, not really much these days. All right. Now, this is something I was really interested in talking with you about. It's uh, it's something that I'll be honest, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, and I, it may indeed make some of our listeners uncomfortable, but I think we, I think it needs to be addressed and something that I have noticed now, let me kind of get this out there. I am officially a baby boomer. Okay. Uh, that's what they called my generation, which means I am officially an old guy. Now I remember when I was not, uh, are you, a, would you call yourself a millennial or a Gen Xer? Where are you chronologically in all of this? Technically, I'm I'm not sure what I am. Uh, <laughs> older people older me say I'm a millennial. I uh, do not identify with that at I all. People you. stay on their phones. I'm like, man, get your head out of your phone. I totally disagree <laughs> with that. I really disagree with that. It bugs me. So, um, you know, I was born in 1982. So technically, okay. I think I am a millennial, which is crazy because, like, when I was seven years old, they called me Generation X. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so how did that shift, do, you know, during my lifetime? Yeah, you know? I get you. Well, I think yeah. that gives us a handle on where where we are, because I do think the generational thing does have a little bit of an impact on how we see this. Okay, um, I started off uh, down the uh, path here, and now I need to get to dropping the other shoe, and that is diversity in 
um, music. And particularly, I've noticed in the big bands, and I, I love the I play quite a few of them. That's kind of like my main thing right now. Uh, I play a lot of these big bands. I love them. But they're almost all older white guys. Uh, I'm seeing very the bands that I play in. Then I see younger bands, which are mostly younger guys. I'm not seeing a whole lot of mix. A few of the bands have women. I've not seen um, racial diversity with these big bands. I see, uh, and I feel just something somehow uh, out of whack there, given the history of the music. Um, have you noticed any of this as a musician out there yourself? Oh, of course, because it's everywhere. So, yeah, yeah. You, you see it if you're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely notice. Yeah. Now, I, uh, I've, I was looking at the uh, videos of your band online uh, and, and looking at the list of players. You have what I would call a very, you know, for, even for a smaller band, the smaller the band, the harder it is to address this. But you have a band, what, about eight guys, I think? Um, Seven uh, when I get to play with my full band. Yeah. And it's diverse. And yes, it is. I, That's I, on purpose. Yes. I love that. I just think it's, why can't we all do that? I just, uh, I uh, I am so frustrated with the, you know, again, the big bands, I love them to death, and I talk about it with all of them. But still, that's this is something that I think gets missed. Uh, now, you said you did this um, consciously. That was an effort on your part. Um, what started you thinking that way? I don't know why I think the way I think. I just do. I'm sorry I yeah. can't answer the why, but I do take time to think about personnel uh-huh. in the band. It's yeah. very important. I hear a sound in my mind. I think most musicians can identify with that. Yeah. But it's not enough to just put good musicians together. They have uh-huh. to match well. They have to complement each other. Yeah. I learned this lesson the hard way in college. Uh-huh. In my first recital, I put just some great musicians together. And then afterward, I, I was feeling good about the performance. And then my teacher chewed me out. He uh-huh. said, all of those guys play circles around you, and they did not help you. They did not make you look good. This was supposed to be your night. It was supposed to be about uh-huh. you. And yeah. they totally took the spotlight from you. I didn't care about that. I thought the music sounded great for me. Yeah. It was all about the music and and the goal there was accomplished for me. Yeah. So um, I had to go back to the drawing board and um, it was really, that's, that's when I began to learn that lesson. And that's when it became, I guess that's the answer. Uh, It became, uh, that's when it started to be on my mind. Um, Another thing is I, I don't think it's possible to, uh, play at your ultimate level if everybody in your group has a, the same or similar perspective. You okay. know, that's that's good to a point because you guys need to be in agreement and going in, in the same direction. But different perspectives are great. I, um, when I was younger, pe- my teachers pointed out the difference in how Miles Davis approached uh, playing. You know, yeah. people are always quick to uh, highlight the, the, the space, the sparse notes. And yeah, then you hear yeah. Cannonball Adderley come in with a flurry of notes. <laughs> you know, so then I started to think about that as well. I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. I need to put guys around me again. Like my teacher taught me to compliment what I do well and what I don't do well. Uh-huh, so that, uh-huh. that goes into my thinking as well. Um, I have no desire to play a lot of notes. I can do that. That's just not really my style. And that's not in my heart. You know, sometimes yeah. I'm, in, I'm in a studio and they're telling me to do 
something I'm not on that I'm not necessarily comfortable with, but I do have the skill to do it. It just takes extra uh, something with, within me to bring it out. So, you know, another thing is this. I'm sorry. you Great topic. I love this. Yeah. Um, I heard somebody interview Winton and they were talking about uh, classical music versus jazz music. And Winton said with classical music, you can practice until you get it with jazz there's no amount of practice that'll help you get it if you uh-huh. got the wrong people around you, you Ooh. know. So, so I, you know, I have um, in my band now Leandro Lopez Verde. He's from oh, Argentina. Yeah, I, I know Leandro. He's, He's from Argentina. Okay, yeah. that's his culture. I, you don't have to explain uh, the 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 Spanish style of music to him because that's his culture. He's gonna yeah. help me with that. Uh-huh. And when it comes time to play the blues. I grew up in a black Baptist church. You don't have to explain that to me. That's my <laughs> yeah. culture. Yeah. It's yeah. in me. I don't, you know, from, from so, you know, you got to have people from different walks of life, you know, and that's all important. That's how you get the best uh, out of the music. And yeah. So I, I love it. Yeah. I, I, it's very important to have a diverse group. You can only, you can't, you can't uh, reach your, your ultimate potential. If everybody looks like you <clears throat> as far as age and color and all that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's beautiful, man. I, I'm glad yeah. to hear somebody else trying to think this way. And I'm sure more people do. It's just, uh, I'm, I, I wish I could see it more. Let's break into the interview and listen to another track from Chris's CD. We'll listen to the whole track as before. Here is in the moment.
now back to the interview. When I was teaching at Nutria, my last year, I ran a, um, uh, a discussion panel on um, uh, cultural appropriation. And it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, among my guests were Eric Thomas, uh, Steve Barry, uh, Marcus Carroll was there, uh, and uh, several other people. And the one of the things that came up was BAM, the BAM movement, uh, uh, the Black American music thing. Is that still something that is out there? What are your feelings about that? I'm aware of it, and I don't uh, pay it much attention. Okay. It feels like... Uh, and let me tell you why I try to keep positivity in my life. And I when I first when I first heard uh, about it, and I researched it, I know it started, as far as I understand, from a blog that Nicholas Payton wrote. Yeah, Nick Payton, I believe. And so that. I started reading, it and I just saw f bombs, this and that, and I had no interest from then on. Okay. To 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 filter through that all the negative words. Now he probably yeah. has a great point. I I personally kind of feel like um, it's, I get it, I, I understand it, but... Where, where uh, is he coming from? Uh, that, well, I mean, uh, it, it strikes me that a lot of uh, people, not necessarily musicians, I think musicians are pretty thoughtful about the idea that African-American culture was a big, uh, you know, if not the preponderant, um, uh, preponderance of the uh, uh, origin of what we call jazz. Um, and the... But the listening audience may not understand that. And I, I sort of sense that that's where he was trying to go, getting more people to be aware of the African-American culture being the underpinning of what is jazz. But for me, you know, let me kind of digress a little bit. Uh, I've always loved Latin music. And when I came, you know, even before I went out in the road, I was playing in the Latin bands in Chicago because they... They would hire, you know, uh, white and black guys to play in the horn sections, and there was mainly Latin guys in the uh, rhythm section and the vocals and everything. And I love that. Uh, but then when more and more Latin trumpet players started to turn up in Chicago, I, I kind of felt like, well, it's not, I didn't get part of them. That it's, it's their culture, if you will, and it's not part of my culture. Do I have a right to be here anymore? And I felt kind of, I was saddened by the notion that maybe I didn't belong somehow. And so then I really wanted to become a better jazz player. You know, I kind of become kind of a lead player. I want to play better and better jazz. And then when the Peyton thing popped up, I thought, oh no, am I get am I gonna have to you know forget about playing jazz? Am I, do I not fit anymore? And I don't think that's where it was going. Now I thought Marcus Carroll's remarks were really um, uh, on point for me. He basically just said, just recognize the history and, and do it justice. That's all anyone can ask. And it was real simple. I like that. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't, true. I don't feel left out, but on the other hand, I want to be respectful. And that's, you know, that's why I'm still, I'm still kind of, I, I don't know if I would care about changing the name, but the movement I think may have relevance. I, Again, coming from me, I'm not sure I have anything really to say about it. So I was really value, I really value your input on this. Uh, so anyway, I, I want to say something. Uh, listening to you talk here, go ahead. Um, this whole this whole music thing, uh huh. It's it's not only about music. Yeah, it can't be. Uh huh. It's about it's about living life, yeah. and it's about developing your character and who you are and your spirit. Oh, yeah. 
so right. that you can help those behind you. All right. Yep. So from from that point of view, um, for example, you say that you that you felt left out. You know, it's, it's about helping people. Yeah. You know, and, and we all have a place here. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's, it's just really that simple. Yeah. That's a, thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's great. Yeah. I want to talk about your CD. I was listening to the tracks you sent me the other night. Just wonderful. Your CD is called Eventide. And um, uh, what influences do or did you feel when you were producing that project? Um, what drove you to write and play the music the way you did? People ask this question. I love it. It's, uh-huh. uh, I don't know if, if people can imagine this or uh, remember this. Uh, I like Superman. <laughs> and, you know, so I've seen a lot of different Superman uh, movies and, yeah, you know, spinoffs, Smallville, and, you know. Uh-huh. But there is a part where Superman is first discovering he has powers. Yeah. And he hears everything on Earth, all of the cries for help, all of the uh, police and the ambulance and the fire sirens and, you know, every danger all at once. And it just drives him crazy. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. know how to control this, how to and he feels bad. Yeah, he can't filter it, right. and he feels bad because he can't physically help everybody, and he uh-huh. hears everything all at once. And for me, man, I don't. It's, it's it takes no effort. I don't think about anything. I just sit down and grab that idea that's passing through, and I hope I catch it fast enough before another melody comes through. Yeah. You know, so I uh, hear this. I hear all this stuff, man. It, it's, it, that's just a little bit of what I hear in my mind. Uh, what what I like to sing to myself. Do, do you bring a recorder or something with you? And, and if an idea pops in your head, do you try to record it real quick? So you don't yeah, my phone primarily because yeah. that's just what's right there. But if I do have a better recorder handy, uh-huh. I will grab it. Yeah. But it's it's usually my phone. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one night, though, I went to hear Marcus Evans, who was in my band on that album. Uh-huh. And he was playing in his group called the the M, the Me Tech, um, Marcus uh-huh. Evans Me Tech. Yeah. Okay. And he was playing with uh, Quentin Coxum, and I don't remember the rest of the band. Hell man, I left. Play. Yeah, I left. I left that concert, man, singing all the way home, like <laughs> new melodies, you know. Yeah. And yeah. one of them came out, and it was uh, in the moment. Yeah, that's the answer to your question. It's not me trying to make something hip. You know, it's just stuff I hear in my mind that I'm, yeah. you know, able to now, put down on paper. I when I listen to you play your solos on the tracks that you sent me, um, they um, you know, I I'm struck by the notion that you have a sound, a, a voice. How did you find your voice? How did you find your sound? This is something that I'm struggling with right now, so I'm really interested in your feelings of that. How did you find your voice? A few different. Things happened in my experiences. Um, when I was in a freshman in high school, there was a senior yeah. who was just every two minutes, how do I sound? How does this sound compared to this and that? Uh-huh. And you're like, his name was Mario. Mario, you sound good. Uh-huh. You sound like you did two minutes ago when you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was obsessed with his sound. And, yeah. uh, you know, but that made me take notice. I wasn't as obsessed, but I, I noticed, oh, that sound is important. About yeah. the same time, I had a teacher 
that told, he stopped me in the middle of what I was playing. He said, um, if you don't have a, he said, uh, what do you say? If you don't have a good sound, nobody's going to want to listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, well, yeah, of course. But at the same time, nobody, well, few people really consider that. They, they, most people think more about playing all of the notes, the hip lines and whatever, but they don't take the time to discover that sound. Another yeah. thing, I'm very, uh, I don't mind doing the boring thing. So, man, if I don't do anything else, I'm doing those fundamentals. I'm on, I'm on the lead pipe. I'm playing the long tones. I'm doing the slurs. Yeah, yeah. Somebody that I um, grew up with, um, he's a little older than me. And, you know, we would do like the, the, um, the all-state bands and the district bands and all that stuff together. Yeah. And I would, I would like outrank him a little bit sometimes because my reading was better, uh-huh. but he was hands down a better soloist than me. And so in recent years, he came over to my house. He wanted some help. Yeah. He was out of, out of practice, you know, because you get older, you got different uh, responsibilities. Uh-huh. But he said, hey, man, I want to work on my sound and this and that. You know, show me what you do. And I sat him down in the chair. And he, he paused and looked at me. He was like, man, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> man, I don't want to do this. This is boring. <laughs> I was like, you ask, man. This is what I do, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, you know, that's that's what it is. Doing the boring thing. You know, everybody always tells you lip, lip slurs, yeah. tones. Everybody does the same thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then I um. You know, people say equipment doesn't matter, but it, it matters a little bit. Okay. So, like the combination of the horn and the mouthpiece that I have, it that helps. It's not. I mean, I could play a totally different trumpet and still sound like me, but um, you know, like that last ten percent or whatever it is, twenty percent, it's equipment. I recently got a new horn. My sound's changed a little bit. Really? Okay. I want to circle back to that in just a second. Um, the uh, uh, one thing that was kind of popping on my head as you're talking here is this. Uh, not just your sound, your tone quality, which is wonderful, nice, warm, velvety sound. The um, but the the ideas you're playing, you know, of what, uh, I guess maybe who influenced you as a player uh, to play the way you do, not just timbre, but your thoughts, your musical ideas as you improvise. Um, it's a few things. Well, one is Miles Davis. You know, you don't always start where you should. You know, uh-huh. I had to mature my ears to like Louis Armstrong. Yeah. Now I love Louis Armstrong. Oh yeah. But in the beginning for me it was Miles Davis exclusively. Yeah. And then it was Winton exclusively. <laughs> and then I started to open up and pay attention to the other trumpet players. But I think those two had the greatest influence on me. And then it was just um sitting down in silence and considering things like how do I want to play what I want to sound like. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. Um, if people and I just didn't want to do what other people did, you know, yeah, that's okay. important to me, just okay. the way I live my life. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really want to play a certain way. Yeah, and that just led me to do what I, what I do now. Okay, that's all. yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, now, uh, 
I'm, I've, I've actually got the musicians named in the front of this, but who are the musicians? I want to hear from you. Uh, who are the musicians on this CD project? Because this thing just sounds great. Who are, who are your side men? Alex Austin is playing bass. Marcus Evans is playing drums. Will Arm Dallas Fort is playing piano. Rajiv Halim is playing alto saxophone. Alto saxophone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Luke Malevich is playing trombone. Oh, yeah. And Casey Fitzpatrick is playing tenor saxophone. Oh, great musicians. Really great musicians. Now, how can folks find your CD? Where's, where, uh, how can they find your music? Uh, just tell me everything. My music is online where music is sold. So go <laughs> to, your, to your favorite your favorite source and, okay. and type in Chris Davis Jazz Tet and you'll find Eventide. Okay. I didn't know at the time Eventide was a popular uh, sound effect. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I had no idea about that. So uh, it's better to type the, the name of my band if you want to find my album. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there you go. Oh, I, of course, I prefer CD Baby over iTunes. So if you yeah. want to help me out, go ahead yeah. and go that way. Okay, we'll make that make that clear here. Uh, you mentioned equipment earlier. You are an Edwards trumpet endorsing artist, correct? Yes, this is true. Uh, what horn are you playing? I played an X13. Oh man, it's just phenomenal. Is that your feeling about it? just unbelievable horn? Oh yes, most most definitely. So I, I've been playing Edwards since 2006. Oh yeah. And then I needed a, a new trumpet recently, so uh, I stayed with Edwards. So that yeah. lets you know right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that X13 is really something else. And just, you know, while we're in the, the geekdom world here, uh, what mouthpiece are you playing now? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I play, um, I've been playing uh, Monet for about eight years. Before I ask my final question, are there any last thoughts that you would like to just share with the, the audience that maybe I didn't get to? You know, yes, so. there's something that's been on my mind in Hit general. Me. Yeah, um, I want to encourage people to avoid mediocrity. Okay, and it's 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 frustrating to me to uh, to see it, and even to be be a part of it. Uh huh. Know? Yeah. So you know, there's a time. I had a moment, man. I was on stage, and uh, <laughs> it was a really. I think everybody probably has one of these moments. Yeah. I was on stage, and and I looked around, and it just really wasn't happening musically. And yeah. I I was really trying to figure out why. Like maybe can I do something to help this better? You know, get yeah. better. Yeah. And I'm looking around. I'm like, man, everybody here can play. What's going on? Why? Why is this not really happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's mediocrity, man. So you know, the general audience doesn't really understand what good music is, but you do. Yeah. So yeah. they they might be impressed with something that's you know, flashy okay. or but but don't you know accept a compliment. But don't get too caught up in that. Keep okay. working. You know, keep working. Uh, listen to yourself. Adjust. You know, you make yeah. mistakes. That's fine. But just adjust. And the thing is, people pay you good money. Um, and I think uh, musicians have become comfortable with with uh, accepting good pay. Oh, man, we're only going to play a 90-minute set tonight. You know, and we're getting paid 500 bucks or, or whatever <laughs> Pretty cool. You know, yeah, and, and we already know all the songs. Yeah. You know, why do I have to put any time into it? You should uh, still put some time into your work. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Avoid mediocrity, please. Okay. That's I beautiful. want I want everybody to become better in that area. 
All right, wonderful, wonderful concept. Okay, a um, couple things. Uh, you have a podcast, and uh, would you tell us briefly uh, about your podcast? What's it called, and you know, where do we find it? It's called Behind the Notes. Yeah. It's similar concept to what we're doing here right now. Okay. So um, I had no intention on podcasting, but then it kind of happened. And, uh, you know, when you get out of school, first of all, you don't even really know what to do. You don't really know what it truly means to be a, a professional musician or working musician or full-time musician. Uh-huh. So uh, I wanted to help those students because I was one of those students. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I didn't want, I didn't want it to just be me talking. I wanted to be the professionals that people admire and respect. So my show is primarily an interview show. On occasion, I do solo shows where I talk to the microphone myself. Yeah. But I've had local um, living legends, local legends. um, Like I had Rufus Reed on uh, Uh my second episode, I think. Second or third. Um, John Clayton, D. Snyder, Winton Marcellus. The D. Snyder think, wow, what was that all about? <laughs> yeah, that was that's one of my favorite episodes, man. Uh-huh. There's you, there's you know, local people too. I just wanted people to know. I, I was very particular about having local uh, successful people that nobody's really heard of because I didn't want everybody to think, oh well, that's John Clayton and whatever. And you know, I just wanted them to know that you can do this too. That's, so that's, that's beautiful. That's a, that is kind of where my head's coming from here. Uh, I've, I've, I I subscribe to your show, and Thanks. I've I've listened to quite a few of the episodes. You do get into some uh, real interesting specifics about how to handle the instrument too, which is uh, something that would be um, uh, very useful to uh, the listening audience out there. So I would encourage everybody who's dropping in on my little show get on over to Behind the Note uh, with Chris Davis. You need to you need to check this out. Thank so, you. I'm going to interrupt you, too. Um, since my daughter's been born, I've taken time off from the podcast. However, okay. I am bringing it back. It's still live. You can yeah. you can go and subscribe. So do that because oh, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to bring I've already recorded more episodes, first of all. Uh-huh. But um, I'm, I'm bringing back at least 25 more shows. At how many? Least. How many? I have 75 have right? right now. 75. Wow. Chris, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Um, this has been a, a, a real interesting conversation. Uh, I love the stories. I love hearing your story. And uh, I really want uh, people to know more and more about uh, uh, musicians who are not necessarily from the East and the West Coast, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, so, yes. So thanks so much for doing this, Christopher. And um, we look forward to running into you on the gig. At least that means we'll both be working, eh? Yes, sir. My pleasure for being here. Thanks for the invitation, Nick. I want to thank Chris Davis for our conversation today. It was fascinating as well as enlightening. Uh, He has a great deal of music and art to offer, and I hope in my small way I can get his work out in front of more and more people. Now, please bookmark this podcast on your listening device. My next episode features an interview with the founders of the Green Bay, Wisconsin-based band Brass Differential. The founders are Kelly Galarno and William Bill Hill. This is another great story that you really need to hear. As my podcast continues to evolve, it's the stories that are starting to really stand out to me. 
All of these stories are totally individual, and yet there are connections, be the storytellers baby boomers, Gen Xers, or millennials. These stories and the music behind them need to be more universally known. So feel free to share this podcast around. Finally, as always, we're looking for sponsors. If you'd like to become a sponsor of a show or shows, just visit www.nickdrawsoff.com and use the contacts page to get in touch. Once again, this is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawsoff, signing off. Till the next time we meet, don't stop the music. Peace.